Hello, I am Anika Orock, author of The Incredible Women of the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League, and you are listening to the fabulous Baseball and Barbecue Podcast with Jeff and Len. Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings Podcast, and you're listening to Jeff and Len on Baseball and Barbecue, one of my favorite podcasts, and I know it's one of yours, too. The only problem is, after I get done listening to it, I'm hungry. All right, guys, take it away. Welcome to episode 63 of Baseball and BBQ. I'm Jeff Cohen with my incredible host, Leonard Abelman. Len, how you doing tonight? I'm I'm incredible. You, you are. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And Jeff, I know that we've got three guests on this show. We don't usually like to start so quickly, but we've got a lot to get into. So tell us who we've got on this podcast, and we're just going to keep going quickly through because these guests are going to be incredible. Yes, we got baseball play-by-play announcer Wayne Randazzo. We have... Second half of our interview with ThermoWorks, Martin Earl and Kyle Havistrom. And we have WFAN's update man, Chris Lopresti, better known as CeeLo. So we have a lot to do on tonight's show, Ben. Wow. A triple header, right? Another yes. tri- we're hitting a triple on this one. It's actually a grand slam. Three incredible guests. So, Jeff, I see the mailman. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. Wonder who it's from? Jeff, we have a letter from a new listener, Tom. I'm not going to say his last name because, you know, we may be a guilty pleasure and he may not want anybody to know that he enjoys our podcast, but we're happy to get the letter from him. This is from Tom. I recently found your podcast and thoroughly enjoy it. Baseball, particularly the Mets and barbecue, are two of my favorite things. Regarding baseball, I have seen the Mets play in every current Major League Baseball stadium, as well as 17 now defunct stadiums. Regarding barbecue, I completed the Texas Monthly Top Barbecue Tour from June 2017 to June 2018. Since then, I have been to 90 other Texas barbecue joints. Jeff, I hope he didn't do all those in one day. I hope not. Stomachache. Yes. Hopefully, and then he says, hopefully baseball season and barbecue touring will resume. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. Tom, we really appreciate the letter, and uh, we hope that you'll keep listening and enjoy. Thank you, Tom. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can give us a call at 516-855-8214. Email us like Tom did. Our email address is at gmail.com. We have a Twitter address at baseball and BBQ. Check us out on our Facebook page, baseball and BBQ. Instagram, baseball and barbecue with barbecue all spelled out. And check us out on our website, www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. When? Yes. I saw this new website, baseballbbq.com. You know, I did guys. Well, you know what? Yes, I do. As a matter of fact, they contacted us, and I'm going to read you. I'm going to read you a little ad for them, and uh, here we go. 
Summer BBQ season is here, so show your love for the grill and the game with Baseball BBQ's grill tools. Their patented baseball bat handles replicate actual wood bat dimensions to give Baseball BBQ's tools the familiar feel of a well-made baseball bat. And the stainless steel grill tools bring more features than a five-tool player. For food prep, Baseball BBQ offers handcrafted maple and walnut cutting boards made in partnership with U.S.-made bat maker McDougal and Sons Bat Company, as well as t-shirts and hats to show your passion for America's two great pastimes. Baseball BBQ is offering listeners of our podcast 10% off their orders using the code POD10, P-O-D-10, at checkout. So if you're outfitting your grill and kitchen or shopping uh, for the perfect gift and maybe perfect Father's Day gift, go to BaseballBBQ.com and use code POD10 to pick up your baseball grill gear today. They have a, a very interesting website. It looks like fun. Check and it out. Take a look at it and see, see what they have to offer. BaseballBBQ.com. Check it out. Now, here's our interview with Wayne Randazzo. We have with us on Baseball and BBQ a transplant from Chicago. He was the former Kane County Cougars broadcaster. Harry Carey was an inspiration. He has two podcasts, Books on Deck and Rain Delay Theater, and now doing play-by-play -play for the New York Mets Radio Network. Welcome to Baseball and BBQ, Wayne Randazzo. Hey, guys. How are you? Good, Wayne. Thanks for joining us. Great. Thanks for joining us, Wayne. Wayne, I got a short story to tell you before we get started with the questions. So of the three of us on the phone right now, two of us worked in the Mets radio booth. Yourself and I did back in 1984 with Bob Murphy and the time with Steve Lamar was the other play-by-play uh, -play person. I was the uh, statistician. I had to do the out-of-town scores and all that. And back then it was on, actually it was really on ticker tape. People don't believe it, but it was ticker tape. And I wrote down all the scores and any important highlights. So this one time, I was writing down the out-of-town scores, and the Yankees were pitching a no-hitter. I don't remember who was the pitcher, but I wrote it down on, on the paper for Bob Murphy to say when he does the out-of-town scores. So he did not mention about the, the no-hitter. He goes to, We go to a commercial break, and he tells to me, Jeff, I didn't mention the no-hitter because I didn't want to lose our audience. Mm -hmm. How about that? that? That's a pro, you know? <laughs> yeah, you have to think about that when the, the other team is in town and playing at the same time. That, that's for sure. Absolutely. So, well, Wayne, I, go ahead, Len. No, no, Jeff, you're on a roll. But <laughs> okay. all I was going to say, Wayne, is you realize that Jeff actually came very close to getting that job yeah. in that booth. <laughs> and if he had, things would have been a lot different for you. So you owe a lot to the fact that he did not get that job. <laughs> well, fortunately uh, for me, it worked out the, the way it was supposed to. And Hopefully, Jeff is uh, happy with whatever he's doing now. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks. Well, he's doing, he's doing a podcast called Baseball BBQ <laughs> with me. What's better? Well, it's, it's all good. So, Wayne, you're from the Windy City of Chicago. How did your friends react when you told me you're now part of the New York Mets radio network? Well, I was more, uh, instead of my friends, it was more of my dad and my grandparents' generation, that those old Cub fans that still had a a lot of bitter feelings toward the New York Mets, mostly because of 1969, but certainly that rivalry popped up in the 80s as well when, when both the Mets and Cubs kind of alternated having good years and 
in 84 when they were battling for the National League East. So there were a lot of people that are older than me that remember that Cubs-Mets rivalry being a lot different than it has been over the last generation, really, even, even with them playing each other in the 2015 NLCS wasn't quite the same as those division days when they were battling uh, against each other for those division titles. Yeah, you, you first work, work, started working for the Mets in 2015. Yeah. And then they played each other in the playoffs in, in, in Chicago. That must have been weird for you, right? It was weird. What I always say is that the most surreal feeling of that was the night the Mets won the pennant. Because as, as my role was at the time, I had to go down and do the on-field interviews after the game. And in, in that case, in the clubhouse, the, the post-celebration interviews. So the Mets beat the Cubs that night. They sweep the series. And then I, I go out onto the field. And I'm literally standing on the pitcher's mound at Wrigley Field, a place I'd been you know, hundred, at least hundreds of times, watching the New York Mets celebrate the National League pennant. And being a part of it, being a part of the Mets radio broadcast and, and then having an opportunity to go cover a World Series. So it was a great feeling for me personally, but it was an unusual one considering the, the place that I was in. Right. Well, Jeff, you mentioned to me today that you had read something. Wayne was at the Bartman game. I was, yeah. And in, in October of 2003, game six, I was on the uh, right field side, but in kind of in territory. I wasn't in the first row like he was, but I was I was about 10, 15 rows up on the right field side. So I had a pretty good view of what happened. And I actually remember someone saying after that happened that, well, they better hold, hold on to this lead or that guy's going to be in trouble. And that was a very, uh, very prescient comment as it turned out. Although, I, you know, it's hard to say it was anything to do with Bartman. There were so many things that happened after that. Alex Gonzalez made a, a ridiculous error on, a, on what could have been an inning-ending double play. But that was, uh, that was a night to uh, forget at Wrigley Field, but I don't think anybody will. Right. Could you tell us about your background and how you broke into sports broadcasting and how you ended up in New York? Yeah, you know, you mentioned Harry Carey. It was, you know, it was watching him as a kid that really got me – moving in the direction of, of wanting to be an announcer. I, I always just uh, appreciated the way that he made the game so fun and, and, and broadcasted them with such energy on a regular basis. And then, you know, as I got older, some of the guys that I admired were that were parts of the broadcasts here in Chicago, guys like John Rooney for the White Sox and uh, Tom Brenneman, who was doing the Cubs games at the time, and even Dwayne Stats before Brenneman and when Pat Hughes got the radio job, I mean, these guys were all, you know, people that I really admired as, in terms of their broadcasting ability. So this is really a, almost a lifelong passion of mine to try to get into to baseball announcing. And so I went to college with a, with a broadcast degree in mind and interned at WGN Radio, you know, helping out on some of the Cubs broadcasts, just kind of cutting highlights and that sort of thing. And so, you know, as soon as I could, I, I got into minor league baseball and, and worked in Alabama for a while before I got the job in Kane County. And, you know, when I, when I was with Kane County, that was in the Chicago suburbs. So I was able to work on the Chicago sports station for 670 to score and did updates and hosted shows, hosted a baseball show eventually with Bruce Levine. So you know, it was all kind of moving in a direction that I wanted to, to get to the big leagues. I'd started doing a, some TV for the Big Ten Network and, and for ESPN. So, you know, everything was just kind of progressing. And, and then as the Mets job opened 
And I believe Seth Everett had it as the pregame show host for a, a year. And I think they wanted someone who could fill in as a play-by-play guy, which Seth, you know, had no experience with. So uh, they kind of went back to the drawing board with regard to that. And, you know, I just kind of uh, was fortunate that it, it worked out in my favor. They were kind of looking for someone who had a lot of versatility as an announcer, which I did because of all the hosting that I did and the updates that I did and the play-by-play, um, my baseball experience in the minor league. So they were kind of looking for a jack-of-all-trades, which which filled what I could do. And, you know, I also submitted a tape just from a mock broadcast that I did. I would go to Wrigley Field and, and to Miller Park and some stadiums around the Midwest every September to broadcast a few games just into my computer because it was a lot better to have major league broadcast tape instead of minor league broadcast tape. So I had a Cubs-Reds game. You know, Jake Arrieta took a no-hitter really late into the game. That was the inning I used, the one where they broke it up. Brandon Phillips hit a double to break the no-hitter up. I think it was in the eighth inning. So I sent that tape to the Mets and to WOR at the time. And, you know, they liked it. And, and they let Howie listen to it. Howie really liked it. And that kind of got the ball rolling once, once Howie kind of gave his stamp of approval. Now, Wayne, I, I imagine that Howie is has taken you under his wings and, and is great with you. But first time you do a game with him, how nervous are you? And the feeling that, you know, you don't want to step on him on his lines or you want to let him do his thing. How did, how long did it take you guys to work that out? But the first game, just tell us the feeling when you're in the booth with Howie Rose. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because at, at that time, you know, John, Lewin was still part of the broadcast, and so I worked a lot with him early in the season because Howie was still doing the Islanders. And then once football came around, Josh would start missing games, and then I'd start working with Howie. So, you know, on, on, on one level, not being from New York, I, you know, Howie Rose, I, I was aware of who he was and his time with the Mets and his hockey broadcast, all of that. But he didn't have this aura to me that – you know, he might to a New Yorker or to a Mets fan. So it wasn't like I was sitting next to this broadcasting icon. And, you know, I, I knew that I was, but it wasn't someone that I had grown up listening to and idolizing like I had the, the broadcasters in Chicago. So it was a little bit different with that regard. But, you know, what Howie really ended up being for me was just this wonderful mentor, that this guy that I could bounce things off of. And, and even as the games are going on, even through last season, you know, I can, I can ask him a question in real time about what he thought of how I called this or what he thought of this particular play. And he would give instant feedback. And he would do that about my pregame show interview questions. He would do that about my play-by-play when I filled in. And he would do that about my on-field interview questions after the games. He was an incredible resource and you talk about versatility of an announcer. Well, Howie did all those things that I did. You know, he, was, uh, he was the pregame show host. He hosted talk shows. He had the play-by-play background. So he was really a, a guy as well that was a, a versatile broadcaster beyond being just a play-by-play guy. So it, it really worked out for me that he was so willing to embrace being a, an older guy, trying to help a younger guy like so many did for him when he was a younger broadcaster coming up. You know, a guy like Marv Albert, who was instrumental in, in helping Howie out. So 
he, he was great always. And, uh, you know, everybody really was around the Mets organization. And, but especially being around Howie and Gary Cohen and, and watching them every day treat their, their jobs and their positions, you know, like, like it's game seven of the World Series. I mean, they are prepared every single night for every single game. And they, they think outside the box and they, and they watch the game almost like students would. And for guys who've been around as long as they have, they do not take their experience for granted at all. And it's, it's been the most incredible advanced learning course I could have ever asked for. Sure. You must, it's like having a history teacher for the Mets right, sitting right next to you. I mean, he, he knows from day one everything would happen. Yes, he does. Uh, yeah, so that, you know, on one hand, it, I, I could show off all my Mets knowledge, all the things I've learned over the years. And, and you know, I, I, I know more about the Mets than any person probably ever born in the city of Chicago. But I never, <laughs> I never have to do that because a guy who's lived and breathed it forever is sitting next to me. So, you know, it's an interesting uh, dynamic for me because I just kind of let him handle all that history. It's not that I don't know some of that stuff, but I, I certainly didn't live it, and, and he did. Jeff and I are, you know, lifelong New Yorkers, and so and sports fans. Jeff, we were, you remember Howie Rose when he did Sports Phone, right? Sure. There, Wayne, there was something where, you know, there wasn't the you wanted to find out the scores right away, and you know the news stations you have to wait for like fifteen minutes on the hour or whatever. You'd call this number, you get charged, I don't know if it was by the minute or whatever. And Howie Rose was doing sports phone. He would he would give the updates on on sports phone. That's how long we've you know (laughs) known of him. (laughs) Sports phone is an interesting place because you know they had Howie, they also had Gary. I believe Michael Kay worked for Sports Phone. I think Breen did. So they have they have an incredible history. In Chicago, too, there were a lot of guys who still work in Chicago broadcasting that worked for the Chicago version of Sports Phone back in the, in the 70s and the 80s. So it's, a, it's an interesting thing because of how the careers that it launched and the longevity of those careers is, is kind of uh, crazy to think about. You mentioned that you were the pre- and post-game host for the Mets before you got the play-by-play job. Could you tell us the difference between how you prepare for one job as opposed to the other? Yeah, it's a good question. The, the pregame and postgame show, you know, it's really two sets of preparation because the pregame show, you know, you kind of have a reporter's hat on. Um, you know, I'm kind of looking for stories. I'm looking for interviews. I'm, I'm looking for some kind of carryover maybe from the night before or from a previous outing. You know, one of my favorite interviews on the pregame show that I ever did was actually with Chase Utley because there's so much history with Utley and the Mets. And this was while he was near the end of his career, probably his last season, actually, when he was with the Dodgers. So it was after all of his Phillies career. It was after the Ruben Tejada thing in the NLC, in the division series. So it was kind of fascinating to talk to Chase Utley about all of that. And so that, that was really the job in the, in the pregame show role, was, was just kind of wearing that reporter's hat and finding different interviews on a, on a daily basis. You know, I would talk to Terry Collins and then, and then Mickey uh, every day. So that was set. But then finding that, that secondary interview was challenging sometimes, but also, you know, it was kind of a fun job because I got to meet a lot of people, interview a lot more people than I, than I would have now. And, you know, he kind of wore a different hat. And then as, as the post-game show goes, 
you know, just watching the game and, and finding different angles. I mean, sometimes the story of the game jumps up and, and announces itself, and, and sometimes you got to dig for it a little bit. So it was, it was fun to do that. I really like doing the scoreboard segment because, you know, I feel like a lot of people consider that a throwaway. You can get scores anywhere now. But, you know, I, I tried to give a, a little bit more detail on those post-game shows beyond just what the scores were of those games, just because, you know, I, I think that as a baseball broadcast, you know, people do want to hear about what's going on around the league. And, you know, I was, I was, I thought it would be a good idea to give as much info as I could about some of those other games. Wayne, you mentioned that you did the, uh, the pregame with Terry Collins and then Mickey Calloway. How did you find walking that line between asking them questions where they would get upset and walk out? Not that they would, but you know, those kind of questions, because you had to speak to them every day. So how'd you handle that with, with sometimes asking them the hard questions? Well, the good thing about Terry, especially, was that Terry was an open book. There was no offending Terry. You know, he, he understood our jobs, and he you know, also believed that it was good for him to have as much of a say in what was going on as possible. He liked to defend himself in those moves and what he was thinking. He liked people knowing that, and he was never anyone that, that would be brushed back by any sort of question, you know, even if, even if he maybe was taken off guard for a moment, you know, he'd just kind of snicker and then he would give you an extremely thoughtful answer. I mean, Terry was a joy to do those interviews with on a daily basis. And uh, I learned a lot about him, but I learned a lot about the game, about this, about baseball, about what, what his eyes saw on a regular basis. And I know, you know, at the time, especially the, the fan base was hard on Terry I think that they've softened quite a bit since since he left. Mostly, I think because of that video that came out, you know, with uh, Tom Hallion and and Utley and all that, Syndergaard that night against the Dodgers. But you know, I I always thought Terry kind of got a bad rap when it came to the fans because he really thought the game out. You know, he he maybe wasn't the greatest pitching strategist in the world. That's a tough job for any manager. But I, I think that Terry really attacked his job on a daily basis trying to win every single game. And, and I think that the players, by and large, maybe not at the very, very end, but for the most part, really respected him and, and his place in the game. And, and I, I love doing those interviews with him. It seems that he's more beloved as time goes on. He is the longest tenured Mets manager there was. And I think people really expect that as, as time goes on, because I agree with you. He probably was given a, a, a bad rap, uh, but he uh, was really a, a decent manager. And it was very hard managing that team that was supposed to be bad for a while. And then and, and 2015 comes and they just, you know, they, t- they take off. That was, that they was handled it really well. And it was, it was really uh, pleasing to him because, you know, his first two managerial stops, they didn't go so great. You know, Houston had some decent teams, but never had won a playoff series. The Angels the same. So, you know, he was really hoping for that first taste of October success and he got it. And it meant the world to him. I actually saw him in a moment after the, they won the pennant where nobody else was around except it was just Terry and his family, his close family and his friends, his wife, and just a few people were gathered around. And he had the National League trophy in his arms and he was just crying and yelling about going to the World Series. And I was, I was the only person besides his family and friends that was there to even see that. And, you know, it was just such a, a moment of pure 
joy for a guy who'd been a baseball lifer that finally got a chance to, to hoist a trophy like that and to get an opportunity to manage in the World Series. Just it meant the entire world to him. Yeah. Speaking of managers, what's your first impression of the new Mets manager, Louis Rojas? I think, we, I think, you know, everybody likes Louis so far. Uh, you know, it's been probably the most bizarre start to a managerial career in <laughs> baseball history, considering <laughs> Carlos Beltran's situation, how that played out, and now with a pandemic. So, you know, Louis has had to fight through a lot, but he is, you know, even through this, I think the you know, last time I talked to him, you know, a month ago or so, he's just as steady as they get. And I think that will play when, when you know, this baseball season is going to be so unusual and so bizarre it's going to be hard to really judge anyone on anything you know it it may sound ridiculous but i think that any team has a chance in in an 80 game season you know even a team you the marlins for example a team that you think is just going to be dead last no matter what 80 games who knows they could they could go 40 and 40 make one of these goofy wild card spots and and then have a chance in the playoffs you just you just never know how this thing is going to shake out. So it'll be tough to judge anything that happens for this year. But I think as time goes on, you'll see that Louis Rojas is very capable of handling this job. And that, you know, on one hand, the Mets probably feel like in some ways that they, it was almost a blessing in disguise how it turned out with Carlos Beltran because of, of how I think Louis Rojas is, is ready to handle this thing. And, you know, the players all really respect him and like him. He's got the great baseball pedigree. He won a championship in the Dominican Winter League, and his brother Moisés Salou, who was uh, the GM for the team that they, they won with, said, you know, even, even New York is not as hostile as the Dominican Winter League because, you know, there's, there's places to hide in New York. You can live out on Long Island or wherever. In the Dominican Winter League, those towns are small, and you will be seen. You will be seen at the grocery store. You'll be seen at the gas station. And, and the fans take it so seriously, and they will be on top of you all the time. And he said, if Louis can handle that and win in that, in that environment, that he'll be able to handle New York just fine. So, Wayne, now you have a lot of free time on your hands, and you have a podcast now called Books on Deck. I've heard uh, the first couple of uh, episodes, and it's great. It's really great. I'm just glad you're not doing a podcast on barbecue because we'd have a big problem. (laughs) We don't need the competition. As a matter of fact, today I was listening to the one you just did by the person who wrote the book about the baseball names. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hall of name uh, with, with DB Firstman, And it's a fun book. And and I'm glad that we got an opportunity to talk to DB about uh, the hall of name book, because it's funny. I, I think that, you know, you think about the great names in baseball history and everybody can pick their favorites. And, you know, DB kind of goes through each of those that, that stand out over time. And, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a, there's some fun with anagrams in the book. And, you know, there's some, some good history about each of the players as well. So uh, I did find a good, uh, to be a good book. I do have one here that is coming up on a future uh, episode of Books on Deck as uh, the Jay Horowitz autobiography, Mr. Met is I think coming out tomorrow. So he'll be on my podcast next week to talk about that. And uh, I'm looking, I'm going to start reading it tonight because I want to get prepped for the interview. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be great. You know, well, I, you know, uh, Jeff, I was just going to say, uh, we, uh, if he wants to come on and promote his book with us, you know, <laughs> we, have no, we would like that too. <laughs> sure, so, uh, like I said, in 1984, I was an intern 
I worked for Jay Horowitz. Yeah. And it was the first year with Dwight Gooden uh, joined the team. And what he had us do, he noticed the attendance was starting to go up every time Dwight pitched. So he signed me to do an analysis of the attendance on every time he pitched both home and away. He, he was a, a, you know, still is a, a great man. I hear him on his, some broadcasts, some interviews. Uh, he has, does a great job on his, his new role as the alumni, uh, VP of Alumni Relations. Yeah. Uh, he has his own podcast that I listen to. And another podcast that you do is Ranger Light Theater, which I, I, I thought was great. I mean, I really enjoy that with you and Steve Gelb. Is, is there a real bromance there with you two? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny because Steve and I started pretty much the same time. He was there a little bit in 2014 because uh, Burkhart was doing only about half the season at that point. So Gelb came on then and then was full-time in, in 15, which was my first year. And I mean, we were kind of the two young guys in the, in the booths. And, you know, we would travel together and be on the bus, sit next to each other and on the plane next to each other. Unfortunately, we very quickly got along. And, uh, you know, so it, it was it, it was great to just get to know Steve and, and become uh, as good of friends with him as we as we now are. And, you know, I was I was just we were just lucky. You know, sometimes you, you cover these teams and you cover a sport and, you know, you don't have anyone that really you can connect with or that's around your age or anything like that. But, you know, Steve and I were virtually the same age and, and same type of experiences. Uh, so we were uh, we were able to get along really, really nicely. And, you know, he's, he, is, he is a very good friend of mine, and, and I'm glad that we uh, were able to start up Rain Delay Theater, which we started just as an Instagram thing to keep ourselves occupied during rain delays, and, and people seemed to like it, and we made the podcast out of it, you know, which, which I think we were both really proud of those, those interviews because, you know, we got to really peel, uh, peel back some of the layers of some of these great characters in, in Mets history, and uh, we've, been, we've been very happy to do it. And I know, you know, some of the interviews, you know, really uh, took off, you know, Pete Alonzo last year talking about his, his professor at the University of Florida who told him that being a major league player was an unrealistic goal. I, I thought right. that was just an incredible thing to hear. And, you know, that, that came out on our podcast. So we, we, we were happy with it. When? <laughs> I didn't want to step on you, so I wasn't oh, saying anything. <laughs> I was just going to say back to the book and, and all the interesting names. Wayne, give us the hardest name that you ever had to, uh, what, what's a crazy name that you had to do announcing? It doesn't have to be with the Mets, it could be back in the minors. Uh, you know, as far as, you know, pronunciations go, there, there, I can't remember too many that stood out. There was, there was a guy in the minor leagues, I think in the Midwest League, whose name was Jose Jose. So that was uh, an interesting name. We had a guy in Kane County named Rock Shoulders, who was uh, kind of a big Husky first baseman who definitely fit the name Rock Shoulders. You know, there were, in the minor leagues, you see a, a few more of those than, than you do in the major leagues for whatever reason. Probably just a lot more players. But, you know, a few names stand out over time. I had to broadcast a, a hockey tournament over the, uh, the offseason for SNY, and you know, I had to learn some Russian names. That, I think those are the hardest names for me to pronounce. Some reason the you know the Japanese names I, I have no problem with, but those Eastern European hockey names are a little tougher for me. You know, I was going to ask you. So baseball is your is the sport you do now, but do you you know are there other sports that you enjoy broadcasting? Yeah, you know, I love just being uh, behind the microphone and 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 calling these events. You know, it's it's baseball is my first love and first and foremost, and it's always been the sport 
closest to my heart. So, you know, it's, it's certainly the one that I enjoy the most. And I'm glad that I'm, I, I have these opportunities to broadcast in, in the major leagues uh, and for the Mets. You know, aside from that, you know, I, I broadcast some college football in the NFL on the radio. You know, I, I, I do a lot of college basketball for Fox and the Big Ten Network you know, between the Big Ten and the Big East. So that keeps me busy in the offseason. That, that hockey tournament I mentioned was the first time I've, I've really ever broadcast hockey. So, uh, you know, it was fun to, to stretch that out and learn how to do that. I've done some boxing in the recent past. And about seven or eight years ago, I did Ultimate Frisbee for ESPN. So that was, a, that was an interesting experience. So, yeah, I mean, just try to stay as, as versatile as I can. And, but, you know, for me, baseball, football, basketball, and, and keeping busy, you know, throughout the year is, is nice to be able to do. You know, something I always wanted to uh, ask uh, a play-by-play person, especially who does the uh, the post game. I know Harry Rose does his; he's done. He he leaves the booth, and then you got to do the the post game show. On on getaways days, are you rushed to do that to get on the flight? You know, especially if you're out of town, you have to get it done quickly and then get out of there. Yeah, you know, because Chris Majkowski, the immortal Chris Majkowski, our producer and engineer, he's got to pack everything up to get it onto the to the bus to get into the truck, the equipment truck, and then they take it to the airplane. So he's the one who's really got to move. I, I, I have some more time because while I can leave while he's packing up. So the postgame show on getaway day is, is a little bit shorter. We zoom through the highlights a little bit more quickly. There's a lot less detail. We tend not to play any interviews unless something wild happens. Then we'll try to play a minute or two if we can. And I don't do a I don't do a scoreboard uh, update on those days. They they do it back in the studio at, at WCBS. So, so it's it's a very abbreviated version of the post game show when it's a getaway day. I was a little disappointed when the Mets went from, you know, FAN to CBS because I liked it that FAN was the the home of the Mets and they spoke about the Mets all the time. And then you know CBS is the news, and then the game would come on. You know it's like. Used to be the the Mets years ago were on a, a country radio station, yeah, yeah, in New York, and so I wanted to hear about the Mets, and you'd hear country music all day, and then all of a sudden you'd have a Met game on. Yeah, when Howie Rose would come on. Yeah, yeah it's an interesting uh, dynamic between that the Mets and Yankees have kind of flipped stations. The Yankees were on eight eighty for so long, and right. run fan, and now it's 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 the opposite after the Mets. Uh, left for those few years at WOR. So, you know, WCBS has been an, a, a great partner for us. You know, we, we enjoy everybody there. Tim Sheld has been uh, amazing to work with, just like John and Susan said he would be. You know, he was there when uh, the Yankees were there too. So it's been uh, it's been nice for us. They've been, you know, fortunate for me. They've, they've allowed me to start this Books on Deck podcast and keep me uh, somewhat occupied during the, the pandemic. So, uh, you know, we're we're – pleased as can be and I, I think they still talk about the Mets quite a bit on FAN so uh, I think there's still yeah they do a lot of, uh, a lot of Mets <laughs> that's true that's true you know Wayne for your books on deck and see I did it again I know Jeff wanted to speak but okay. for your books on deck we do interview a lot of authors some fantastic authors unfortunately right now a lot of them their books came out the wrong time they were supposed to have book launches and they got canceled, and so we try to promote the books all we can. But if you look at some of our past episodes, there are some fantastic authors. I know that part of what you're doing 
is so that when people are holed up in their house, they can, you know, they have, they are books that they can read, right? So take a look at a list of, of our episodes because we really have had some, uh, some incredible authors on. And I, I know they would be thrilled if they got the opportunity to go on with you. So Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll check it out. You know, my plan right now, it could change, is to just do them until baseball starts again. That doesn't mean I won't pick it up again in the off season. You know, we'll see. Uh, and I'm focused right now on just on new releases. That's why all the books that I've done to this point and, and will continue to do up until baseball starts, at least the date that we think it's going to start, is is all new releases. I, I'm going to have John Shea on to talk about his Willie Mays book. Mm-hmm. I've got the the Wax Pack over here, which is kind of blossomed as a as a nice fun read. Great book uh, by Brad Brad Baruchian. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've got tomorrow. I've got this one coming with yeah. the New York right. all-time all-stars. I've yeah. got Jared Diamond and Swing Kings. So, oh, great. Uh, okay. So uh, you have had on some of them. Yeah, we had Jared Diamond on. We had. We're gonna have Brad on. Right. We're gonna have Brad on. So yeah. So it, that's great because they do. It, it's great what you're doing for these authors because yeah. you are certainly giving them. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, you know, as much as we think that people listen to us, yeah. you're giving them more and, and it's great. But yeah, we had Jared Diamond on. Jeff did the, the interview with him. Fantastic book, Swing King. So I really enjoy the books on deck, though. I, I want you to know. It's great, thank you very great much. Podcast. Appreciate it. Wayne, uh, we, we really uh, thank you for your time. Just uh, one or two more questions, if you don't mind. When you're doing interviews, you know, everybody asks, who, who was your favorite interview? But which ones, which players gave you the the most difficulty in trying to get out information from them? You know, there's, there's always challenges when it, when it comes to different players. I mean, some guys are really, really great. I mean, you, you think about Brandon Nimmo or Michael Conforto or, or even Pete who came, I didn't really interview Pete that much last year because I was already moved on to the, into the different role. But even just talking to Pete off, off the microphone, J.D. Davis Another guy who came on so strongly last year and is really insightful and, and easy to talk to, you know, it's 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 there's a lot of guys like that. And there's some guys who are just more reserved and, and don't want to say too much or aren't comfortable saying a lot. I remember interviewing Ozzy Albies and and the Braves PR staff was like, oh, good luck. He's not going to say much and he will he will not talk about himself at all. So and they were it was true to form. He said almost nothing when I asked him about everything besides himself and then when I asked about himself he literally said nothing so it's um, you know just every guy's different it's funny when you're around the older guys you know they're the ones who really you, you can't shut them up at all I, I think you know I, I did I, I was I interviewed Tim McCarver for so long I think we played it over like three days because it was uh, so stretched out McCarver just going on and on and on and, and it was great everything he said was was you know stuff that you wanted to hear what he had to say next but you know it just depends on, on who you talk to and, and, and sometimes what day it is you know that to try to to get the best interview out of somebody anything else len oh you said you had two more happening <laughs> you did <laughs> wait i'm trying to be nice i i'm always i'm the talker <laughs> okay besides new york and chicago where do you like to go to what what cities are you know that really get rain dazzle going all right we're going to i don't know milwaukee or or toronto yeah. or what do you like going traveling to 
Well, I think the Giants ballpark is my favorite uh, in San Francisco. That is just, to me, that is just a palace. That's, that was the most perfectly done baseball watching experience uh, that, that there's ever been. I mean, what a great place to see the game with the great backdrop of the Bay. Even the way they understate the music there, you've got the great public address announcer there in San Francisco. It it's always seems like a good crowd, a lively crowd at those games. You know, the weather's never really unbearable. It's it's a just a wonderful place to watch a game. You know, as far as cities go, I you know, I like I like going to Los Angeles and to San Diego. You know, I don't know if that makes me a, a Southern California guy, but it, those are nice cities to visit. You know, there's only probably a few that I, I really don't like in the National League. It's it's mostly a pretty good league. Um, you know, D.C. is a great city. I, I never really had spent much time there until I got this job. Now, now we're there a lot because the Mets play Washington so often. But, you know, that's a, that's a really nice city. I tell you, I, I haven't had the pleasure of San Francisco yet, but when I walked into a PNC Park in Pittsburgh, I was wowed. I mean, that's a lovely that's a great park. Place. And Pittsburgh's a, 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 un, to the point where it's, it's an underrated city to the point where it's, it's probably not even underrated anymore because I think people who've been there uh, kind of get it. But it, that's, that's a really great ballpark. And I think, you know, when people talk about the best parks, usually they say Pittsburgh or San Francisco. You know, there's something about that Giants ballpark with the water. And again, more even about the, the presentation of how they play the music and how the PA sounds and all that. It's just kind of some of those subtle notes that they hit that I think puts it a little bit ahead of Pittsburgh, but it's the, the pirate stadium is, is, is wonderful too. Wayne, I do have one more for you. Hopefully the baseball season is going to start soon, but we know one thing, well, we know nothing for sure, but one thing that they're saying is there won't be fans in the stands. When you announce, do you feed off the fans at all? And, and if you do, how's it going to be with it? empty stadium well yeah you certainly do feed off the fans there's no question about that i think the players feed off the fans we we do as broadcasters you know if fans ever questioned their value to a team to an organization to players i think this year they will they will never have to do that again because i think that this will be such an unusual experience without fans and and no one will really like it it will feel incomplete until fans are allowed back in. And hopefully that does happen this year. I mean, it hasn't been ruled out that there won't be fans at the end of the year, although certainly at the beginning there won't be. So, yeah, it'll be missed. You know, how Howie and I will cope without the fans there to feed off of, we'll, we'll, be, we'll figure that out. We'll, we'll, we'll be fine. You know, maybe they'll pump in some crowd noise. Maybe they'll pump in some music. You know, I don't know how they're going to present the game necessarily in a, in a different way. You don't want it to have that you know, feeling where you're in an, an empty cavernous place, especially if they're going to be in the major league stadiums. You know, if you're in the spring training facilities, you know, you can probably get away with it a little bit because they're smaller, but in the big stadiums without any fans, it's going to be unusual. You know, I did minor league games some nights where there were probably 40 or 50 people in attendance. And you can, I, they used to play the broadcast in the concession areas and in one particular stadium that I called games in, I would hear my own reverberation coming back to me on, on those nights when the stadium was, was near empty. So those, those were weird broadcasts to do. And uh, certainly if, if we're going to be doing this without any fans at all, uh, hopefully there's a creative way for, for us to feed off of something so that we can 
present, you know, baseball the way that we want to. Of course, we're just going to be so excited that there is baseball to broadcast that I think our own emotions and our own level of intensity will be able to match what the players are doing. Well, just imagine you're broadcasting from Miami. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) Wayne, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And thank you. Best Wayne. of luck for, with, with you and, and Howie and, and the Mets this year if they start get going. And, and thanks yeah. for everything. Okay. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate the time. Wayne, really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. See you guys. And now thanks to Wayne Randazzo. Glenn, what do you think? Oh, wow. He's really good. I, I As I'm talking to him, I'm like thinking, all right, now start broadcasting a Mets game. <laughs> But there was, there's no Met game to be had. But, yeah, that w- thanks, Wayne, for coming on with us. We really enjoyed that. Yes, thank you, Wayne. And, Len, why don't we uh, get back into our part two interview with ThermoWorks, Kyle Haverson and Martin Earl. This is what you do. I mean, this is it. You know, this is your specialty. Yeah. The, the one thing, there's two actually – well, there's two two thermometers, one of these – Every single cook. I, I not even, you know, the, yes, we barbecue, but my wife uses it in the kitchen, whether she's use, making things in the oven or, you know, making things on the stove or whatever to get the temperature. You've got your Thermapen MK4, which is your top of the line thermometer with the reversible where, you know, you put it in one direction, it turns around, it has a light, turns off automatically. I mean, it's incredible. I, you don't even need to say anything on it. I'll sell it. We've got the Thermapen MK4, which I want you guys to talk about because our, our listeners have to get one of those. Or, and, and it's not expensive, but then you have the Thermopop, which is less expensive, not as feature heavy, and smaller but a fantastic thermometer as well. So you want to just talk about those? Len, I can talk about the Thermopan MK4 for a second. Because my my son came home from college the other day, and he doesn't like the way I cook, so he started cooking himself, and he asked me for the thermometer where I was like, wow, you want the uh, Thermopan to check out the temperature of the meat? (laughs) Okay, so he's even into it now. Well, that's just a sign of good parenting. That's what oh, that is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, that's really great. Yeah. But, you know, so, 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 so stay with me when I say this. This is, I know this sounds like a bit of a stretch. This sounds like somebody from a company talking about something. I'm not kidding around when I say this. The Thermopen can change your life. And, and, and the reason for that is that, like, what, what is it that brings people together? Like eating food together brings people together, right? Like that's what we do at all of our holidays, all our gatherings, all of our funerals, all of our celebrations, everything like that. Like, like cultures center around food. And you're always wondering what are you going to have for dinner tonight? What are you going to have for lunch tomorrow? All these things, these are questions that we face all the time. And like we've got four small kids at home and trying to decide what to feed the kids. I mean, I'm a chef and I just get tired of thinking of what to feed the family all the time, right? So if you can have a tool that makes that one aspect of your life easier, better, more fun, and and safer all at the same time, and that's one tool, then that's something that can literally make your life better. 
right? And, and, and it really does. It changes the way you cook and it changes the way you eat and it changes the way that you get together with people. Cause you know, if you were afraid to put a brisket on before, uh, because you didn't have the right tools or the right knowledge or something like that. Uh, now like you go ahead and you cook that brisket cause you have some thermometers in there, you know, what's happening. You can watch it. And then you have the neighbors over and now you've got better friends and you know, like all these things. Um, it's, it's a stretch to say, but it's also not a stretch to say. And, you know, I gave one to, to my uncle or I got one my uncle for Christmas or his birthday, I don't remember. And he's temping his, his baked potatoes, he's temping his bath water, he's temping his garden soil, and then he's using it in the kitchen every day also. And, and it just, it, it has the ability to touch so many things in your life that it's kind of crazy. You know what it's great for too? Forget temperature. You mentioned the baked potatoes. You know how you have to test when a baked potato is done, you know, it, if you could put a fork in it or put the, the you know, the thermopen, the, the needle, small enough, you just, yeah. if it slides mm -hmm. right into the potato, you know it's done. So even that, I don't need, and of course it's fun to look at how hot a baked potato gets. <laughs> <laughs> I did some potatoes. Potatoes need to be, a, like I find them to be best done at about 203 degrees or a little higher than that. So go ahead and temp it, and, and, and it, you, you can find the sweet, I like my potatoes at 203 plus. Kyle, you were saying? I was just going to say the, the same thing. There, there's a temperature for a potato, and, and we actually did some testing, and there's a blog post on it, if you care to read some of the testing. I just well, that's why it's called a hot mind. potato, right? Mm -hmm. Right? The expression hot <laughs> potato. But I got to guys, of, I got to tell you that how great your products are, but I am so impressed with this, this blog. I mean, for your beginners out there who was just thinking about going into smoking, there's a couple of barbecue 101s that actually three parts that, that's on this blog. And it's just, just terrific. Just very simple re read and to get into start, starting to uh, smoke meat. Thank you. That's, I, I appreciate your, you, you're looking at that and, and, and saying that about it. I, we, we put a lot of hard work into that. So I'm glad you like it. Now, you also have, all right, so you have the thermal pop. It looks just like a lollipop. <laughs> it really does, yeah. right? For people that, you know, just want to get a beginner, what do you call it, a beginner thermometer, but a smaller thermometer. We actually got one from my brother-in-law for, uh, for the holidays, for his birthday, I think. And he loves it. So yeah. it's so funny because they're so into cooking. And the one thing they didn't have, and I'll probably get in a lot of trouble if they listen to this, <laughs> but the one thing they didn't have <laughs> was a quality thermometer. You know, they have mm -hmm. all this fancy cooking equipment, and then they took the turkey out, and they didn't really know who, whether it was done or not. So, <laughs> but thermometer makes all the difference. It, it allows you to not only know if it's safe to eat, but it gives you that consistent and repeatable results. Right. So you can do that same steak every time, or you can get that turkey juicy and safe every time without overcooking. A good thermometer makes that easy, and that's it's it's really hard to convey how to tell if, if something's done, especially in something like a blog format, uh, without using temperature. If you say, oh, well, squish it, and if it feels firm, well, well what's firm? Right. Uh, it's different <laughs> for everybody. But if I say cook it till it says 125 degrees, that's easy. Uh, right. I can read a display, and if you have a good thermometer like we sell, uh, it's easy to get that temperature. Right. Meat is so expensive. And if, if you're going to take this great piece of meat and overcook it, that's, that's a shame. 
that you spent. That's money just out the window. And what you, it doesn't have to be. Just check the temperature. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I, but. You know, um, one of the things about that is, is you know, people sometimes look at the, at the thermopen, which costs, I mean, it's a hundred bucks, right? It's $99 for the thermometer. And people say, eat, you know, a hundred dollars for the thermometer. But like, you know, come Christmas time, you buy, or, or you know, some other holiday, you, you buy yourself a, a, a rib roast. I mean, that rib roast could cost, I mean, you find one on sale at 60 bucks and that's not a very good piece of meat. You get a really good piece of meat, a really nice rib roast. That's going to be up, you know, two hundred dollars. You're going to trust that with a five dollar thermometer from Walmart? Eh, I mean, you know, it, 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 it's an investment, right? It's an insurance policy on your food, kind of. And you'll use it all the time. You'll want to just go. You'll want to just put it in things just to see what the temperature is. I mean, it, <laughs> it's, it tells you the air temperature when if you keep it out. And you just have you. It actually tells you what temperature it is outside. That's how amazing it is, right? Yeah, yeah. it does. It's great. Everything, yeah. everything. And you have it's not so. You have the Thermapen MK4, but you also have the original Thermapen, uh, which classic. is a little less, right? And the Thermapen yeah. yeah. so limited edition. There's something for everyone. Also, limited editions exactly. uh, Thermapen. Yeah, uh, we. From time to time, and we've had some amazing colors in those that I, I really wish I had bought some of. But you know, once I get so many thermometers in the drawer at home, I, it becomes harder just to find more thermometers in the drawer at home. Kyle, you mentioned that you're cooking. You're now barbecuing at home more, right? Yeah, I've always barbecued at home, but now right. I have time because I'm home right. all day. I can I can fire up the grill in the morning and throw whatever I want on there. I, I think this week might be beef ribs if I can find them. Oh. I love making beef ribs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's great. And with just two of us at home, it's hard to justify a full brisket. But beef ribs, they get you there. And I, I honestly, I might like them a little better. Don't, don't hate me for saying that. But, well, um, and it's a I, lot easier serving size for two people. Yes. Are, you guys, are you guys still get, doing your weekly giveaway for Thermopens? Every oh, week. Absolutely. Okay. So all you got get a newsletter, and hopefully you're a winner, correct? that the way it works? All, all you have to do is sign up for the newsletter and, and we pull a, an email every week for oh. the, the winner. Yeah. yeah. Everyone, who's, everyone who's subscribed to, to the email is automatically entered for, for Thermopen. And I know probably employees of ThermoWorks are not included in that, but because you're on our podcast and because we're promoting your products, then we think they're incredible. That doesn't make us employees. We're still eligible. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I look every yes. week. I haven't won uh, yet, but I'm waiting. <laughs> I, I I do have to say this, and not to brag or, or or to say anything, you know, just to kind of give you an idea of what what ThermalWorks believes in. On your first day as an, as an employee at ThermalWorks, you go through your onboarding paperwork, and then they walk you through the warehouse, and there's a little checklist, and you choose colors of, of products as you walk through. And on my first day, I'm like. Well, I don't know what any of this stuff is. Like I, I, used, I thought I was a good barbecuer or, or griller anyway. But they send you home with one of each of the products on your first day so that you can take them home and learn them and, and talk intelligibly with customers and, and other employees about the stuff. They want you to learn and understand and know the products and, and be a better cook. I mean, there, there couldn't be a better company to work for. You, you talk about, and that's kind of a side note, but that, that's the culture of ThermalWorks. We, we want employees to be happy. We want them to be knowledgeable about the products and, and really enjoy that. 
and it is the same with and we want to provide that for our customers and it, it does it really shows through to the customers when they when we talk to them yeah people know they can tell now and you get because to keep those you get to keep those that they, they give you on your first day absolutely okay yeah. i'm sending you my resume all right <laughs> four years almost four years and i'm still on the, the same thermopen with the original battery and i use that yeah. thing all the time it's a long commute but i'm willing to do it <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, I would mention every product on your site, but we would be here for 24 hours. There is that many products, but some that our listeners would be interested in is Time Stack, Signals, Chef Alarm. So take take those, uh, Kyle. Why don't you start with Time Stack? Yeah, Time Stack is great. It's a it's a four channel timer, which and, it, and it's quite large. It stands about eight inches tall. I'm just estimating on that, so don't quote me. But you can time four different things on there. You can see them all at the same time on the big display, and you can even record your voice, a custom message when it goes off. So if you've forgotten what that first timer was, you could say, you know, check the rolls or mm. any, any, any number of things. Uh, what, or maybe the kid's timeout is over, and you can put the kid's name at the end. I, we get all kinds of weird uses that we hear about <laughs> but these have gotten really popular in sca competition because you know you flip that thing a couple of different times and they have a different timer for each one of those flips and uh, right. it, it's really it's really loud so you can hear it when you're outside big buttons easy to use and it's got a count up timer so once the countdown's over you know how long it's been since the timer went off which is also really helpful perfect when you're making a big meal like thanksgiving mm -hmm. Right, you've got yep. the turkey in yeah. the oven, and the and the like you said rolls and this and that. All right, we, we I know we told you a certain amount of time, so I'm just gonna quickly get to these. So I mentioned time stack signals. What Martin, do you, you want to take signals? Yeah, yeah, signals. Signals were our first fan control thermometer. So that signals um, uh, we made, and then we made billows, but we had secretly made. Um, uh, uh, signals ready to talk to billows when it was ready. So it's a fan control. It's a four channel thermometer. It has uh, buttons on it. That you can actually change the, the temperatures or the, the, the alarms with actual physical buttons on the units. So you don't have to get your, you don't have to use your porky greasy hands on your cell phone to, to, to change uh, the, the alarms on it. But also uh, it does connect to your Wi-Fi and, and, and Bluetooth. Uh, so you can, go into the ThermalWorks barbecue app on there and you can actually track your cook. And as a, a geek, again, um, being able to download that spreadsheet off my phone onto my computer and look at the cook and see the spikes and the troughs and the cool spaces and things like that and see what happened to it, I get a real kick out of that. It's really fun to use. And you, I mean, you obviously have to be somewhere where you can get to the Wi-Fi if you want to use the Wi-Fi function. So if you're at, you know, um, camping or something, you might not have that functionality, but it is really, really fun to have that uh, and control the four channels and the graphing capability. So kind of, people sometimes ask what's the difference between the signals and like the X4. The X4 does not connect to the app. It doesn't have any Wi-Fi. It doesn't have any Bluetooth. It just speaks to the, to the receiver that came with it. So basically the difference between those two products is Wi-Fi capability. And it's really fun to have. And I said, I know, I know we're short on time, but Chef Alarm, Kyle, you want to just give us a brief view yeah. of Chef Alarm? So Chef Alarm, um, 
and I guess I should say this too. We've talked about smoke X. We've talked about signals. Uh, we've talked, and now we're talking about chef alarm uh, and the original smoke. And that there's one more called dot, and they all kind of live in that same family of products. They're all products with a leave-in probe, meaning that you put a probe in your meat. You can got a long cable on there, so you can close the oven or the smoker door on it and monitor the temperature without having to open that door. Right. They all use the same Pro Series probes. So there's uh, several different options or styles of Pro Series Pro, but they're all compatible across all these products. So the real differentiators now we talk about those Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, remote receivers, one channel, two channels, four channels. That's how, and we've got a great comparison chart actually for that on the website, which is really helpful in helping you decide which one you need. But the, the Chef Alarm uh, is a single channel, meaning you know one probe at a time. Uh, and it also has a high and low alarm, so it's really great for monitoring air temp maybe in your oven or your smoker, or oil temp and if you're deep frying and you've got that in a, in a non-temperature controlled unit, like a pot on the stove, for example, uh, which is how I usually deep fry. I don't have a dedicated deep fryer. So you can set those temperature limits and it will beep when it goes, if it goes over your set limit or under your set limit. And then it's also got a timer built in which is really great. It's a really feature-enhanced unit with a single probe, and it's got a lot of functions. It's very popular in, in like I said, deep frying, candy making, just roast oven roasting, and then smoking, if you're just after that single probe. We are speaking to Kyle Halverson and Martin Earl from Thermoworks. Please go to their website, thermoworks.com. They really have the best products in the industry. Bar none. You will love the website. You'll love their products. And if you have any questions about their products, you give the customer service a, a call. They will guide you. They will tell you what they recommend. You tell them how you want to use it. They'll recommend something. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Kyle, Martin, we can't thank you enough for joining us on Baseball and Barbecue. Thank you very thank much. You thank you so much. It's been great Thanks being here. Us, guys. And our thanks to Kyle and Martin for joining us from Thermoworks. They have a really great uh, products. Check out their website, thermoworks.com. Yes, thermoworks.com. So I'm, I'm just, the only thing I'm a little disappointed now is there isn't going to be a part three. Right. But we will get them back on eventually. I love the products. As we said in the interview, we are definitely geeks and proud of it. I just love all the products that they have. Yes. Really quality. Uh, thanks to Martin and, and Kyle. And now, our third interview of the night with Chris Lopresti, known as CeeLo. Baseball and Barbecue is proud to have with us FAN radio personality Chris Lopresti. He's been the update man. I know he's the Jet Beat reporter. And we're really interested to know what has how we got started in broadcasting and stuff going on with the fans. So welcome to Baseball and BBQ, Chris Lopresti. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, it's our pleasure. Uh, Chris, let, let me first ask you, how did you begin in broadcasting, and how, and how did you get the gig at the fan? Well, I started in broadcasting really in college. Uh, I went to Quinnipiac University in Connecticut. Uh, when I first decided to go there, I thought I was actually going to do print journalism. That was what I was really interested in in high school. And once I got to college, I kind of discovered the student radio station and all that came with that. It kind of became clear to me pretty quickly that I was much more interested in that platform 
rather than the print side. Um, so I started to do a lot of stuff on campus, student radio. Um, they also had actually a, an AM station that was more professionally run that, that uh, broadcast the ice hockey and the basketball games for the Quinnipiac Athletic Department. Those were kind of the two big teams up there at the time when I was there. And then um, the, the gig at FAN started with an internship, really, and that's where most of us that work at FAN now, a lot of us started as interns. The internship program for the FAN and uh, for CBS Radio when it existed was, was really strong. Um, and a lot of us, that's how we got our start. And it wasn't the kind of thing where, you know, you just went to the WFAN website and kind of applied online or anything like that. You kind of had to know somebody who knew somebody. So I was fortunate enough uh, to have a contact through my brother-in-law that knew Mark Chernoff, who runs WFAN, and uh, I managed to get my resume in front of him. A couple weeks later, right around, uh, let's see, spring break, Easter time of 2007, I was uh, sitting in the studios at Kaufman Astoria, or the Kaufman Astoria Studios in uh, Astoria, New York, in Queens, sitting down with the legendary Eddie Scazzoni, who now uh, works with the Boomer and Geo program in the morning. So he was the internship coordinator at the time. So I sat with him, we did the interview, and uh, next thing I know, I was, I was interning at the FAN summer of 2007 between my junior and senior year of college, and it was uh, some of the most fun I've ever had working in the business. It was uh, for somebody who grew up listening to the station, grew up going to sleep listening to the station at night, it was, uh, it was pretty exciting. So uh, pretty much, needless to say, I was kind of eyes wide open walking in there as a youngster and getting to work alongside a lot of the guys that I grew up listening to. Yeah, that's like us. We uh, we would also wake up in the morning listening to it, listen during the day, fall asleep at night. But Chris, I got to ask you, this is Len. Basically, uh, I've been told I have a face for radio and a voice <laughs> and a voice that's made for silent films. So what I want to know is it, it used to be that the, you have a very good voice on the radio, but is it still like you have some people on the fan who have the New York accents or whatever. Are you, did you find that it's moving away from voices that are perfect for radio or do you still have to have, you know, that really distinct radio voice? I think, uh, I think it's moved away from it somewhat. I mean, you certainly don't, you don't always hear that prototypical news radio man voice, certainly not on the fan. You'll still get that sometimes on 1010 wins or like WCBS 880, uh, WABC, some of those channels that do the more straight news. But at FAN, you know, we have some of, you know, some of the older guard guys that listen. There's great, there's examples of guys that have tremendous radio voices that have been doing it a long time, two of which uh, just retired uh, within the last couple of weeks. John Minko, who's maybe not the prototypical radio voice, but it's a a voice that kind of became synonymous with the FAN from day one. Mm -hmm. And Harris Allen, who was the overnight update guy who worked at WNEW way back in the day as a disc jockey. So... The old guard, I feel like, had, I don't say old in in an offensive way, but the guys that really were there sort of from the beginning, that grew up in radio in the, let's call it the 70s and then the 80s, late late 80s for fans' purposes. But it's definitely changed, and I think it also depends on what what kind of gig you have. So for someone like me doing the updates, you know, you have to be a little bit more, I would say, broadcaster tone clear and concise because you're delivering a short form report where you're trying to give people the information and there's music playing underneath you you have a limited amount of time so you really have to be clear and concise with what you're saying whereas if you're a show host 
we have plenty of examples of them. I mean, certainly Mad Dog, when he was working at the fan, now it's serious. It's definitely not your traditional radio voice. No. <laughs> good buddy good buddy of mine, good buddy of mine who I think has a little Mad Dog in him, John Dostrevsky, mm. who uh, hosts on the fan now, does, certainly does not have that prototypical radio voice. So it, it's a blend. I think it's really ultimately just about connecting with the audience. So they come in all shapes and sizes, different sounds, high pitch, low pitch. You know, when I first started doing updates or when I was first trying to do updates at the fam, my bosses told me, well, you know, you write well, you deliver it well, but you sound young because I was young. You know, I still think of myself as more of someone who has more of a higher pitch voice than that, you know, deep, crystal clear, silky smooth baritone voice. But right. you find that you find a way to make it work over time. You know, you find what works for you, your style, and people either like it or they don't. So I'm fortunate enough I haven't had anyone come and tell me yet, you know, you stink and you're done, you're fired. So that's all I can ask for. But uh, there's, a, there's a lot of good examples out there. So I don't think there is a cookie cutter, carbon, c- carbon copy type voice that is a requirement in this day and age as maybe there was maybe let's call it what 25 to 40 years ago somewhere in that range you know chris awareness obviously is a strange part of uh, of the world now there's no sports or anything like that but forgetting that in like last year how would you prepare for your updates is there a lot of work behind the scenes because you only go on for a few minutes when once you're on the air but there has to be uh some stuff going on beforehand to prepare for it Definitely. And, uh, you know, people would say, hey, he's on a couple minutes per hour, but you're not really, there's no time in those couple of minutes to be kind of conversational and taking pauses the way we are right now, going back and forth with a Q&A. You've got a couple minutes and you need to pack it with as much information and compelling audio as possible. So there's definitely prep work that goes into it. Uh, I try to always arrive when when we were still going to the station, to the studios. Obviously, right now, everyone's working from home. But even so, I try to give myself a good hour before my first update is going to air to make sure I have time to do some research, check up on all the stories that are out there, kind of track down some of the audio that might be available. Um, and, and for me, just being tapped in and plugged in as much as possible. It's harder for me right now and in the last year or so because I've got two young kids at home. I've got a soon-to-be four-year-old and a soon-to-be one-year-old. Nice. They, they certainly take up a lot of my time. Sure, enjoy that. So I'm, yeah, I'm maybe not quite as locked in as I once was, but in this day and age of Twitter and you know apps on your phone, notifications, breaking news, it, it travels a lot quicker than it once did. So there's a lot of different outlets that I kind of am trying to peruse and check in on throughout the day so that once my shift does start and I sit down to start preparing uh, an update, I already have an idea in my head, sort of a template or a skeleton of, okay, here's the big stories I want to hit, and now I'm going to try and fill in some of the finer details, interesting facts, a compelling quote, a good piece of audio, and that's kind of when you put it all together that all those different ingredients I think that's what what kind of makes it uh, hit home with the people and the listeners that are out there digesting it, for lack of a better word. Now, Chris, when you were interviewing, obviously the, the people at the fan are extremely knowledgeable about sports. And some have subjects, you know, whether they're big hockey uh, buffs or basketball or baseball, whatever it is. Do they, like, test your knowledge on how much sports you know <laughs> as you're doing? I mean... I was wondering about that. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good question. You would you would assume yes. Um, I, I can only speak from my personal experience, but the way Eddie Scazzeri ran the internship program, he was less interested in that and more interested about what kind of 
behind the scenes technical experience you had walking in the door because for the interns you know, you're not going on the air and having to be knowledgeable on the air about a topic or a game or a team i mean yeah it helps it definitely helps to have that background for the, the different jobs and the responsibilities and the tasks that you're asking to carry out but a lot of what we did as interns at least walking in at the bottom and having to work our way up was about cutting tape getting all the audio you know familiarity with you know editing software a year for sound bites things like that so thankfully for me and i think a big reason that i got into the got got one of the internships was because i had a lot of that experience from what i was doing at college you know i wasn't just going to class and you know, writing stories for the student newspaper. I did a lot of radio work there. So on my resume was already experience that they were looking for so that when I walked in the door, I didn't have to be, someone had to sit me down and teach me and go through all these things. I knew how to do a lot of those things already. Uh, so for the, for the young, the young crowd, the interns, the guys that are at the bottom of the barrel, you know, doing the grunt work, that's really what it was more about. Having a having a, a strong knowledge and a background in sports certainly helps, and it might maybe it helps you advance a little quicker. But uh, I don't remember, I don't recall that being a part of my my interview with Fan. I can tell you that around the same time when I was in college, I was applying for another internship at ESPN, which was right down the road in, in Bristol, Connecticut, from where it was mm-hmm. in school, and it was in their stats and research department, and that was a grueling multiple round ordeal where they did quiz you they quizzed you live on the phone they gave you like written homework to to a written homework test research having to look things up find out you know statistical trends historical things so there are definitely jobs out there in the business that exist where they will legit test your sports knowledge and or your ability to look things up research and find factual information so i guess it depends on the company and the position but it it definitely does exist and you have to depend you have to figure out what games you're going to report on, you know, which are important. I remember listening to Mike and the Mad Dog, and Mad Dog would get on the, whoever was doing the updates, Jeff, <laughs> you probably remember this, and he'd be like, well, what about uh, Gonzaga? You know, but this was right. during the regular season, or what about, uh, you know, where he went to school, or, you know, and, and the update guy wouldn't have given that information because it yeah. wasn't pertinent to this area, and they'd have to, like, you know, look and see, oh, it's so-and-so. <laughs> and I used to always get on the update, guys. I remember that. That's a, that's a great example of, yeah. I mean, Doug, he knows the deal, but he, he likes to bust chops, which is great because it makes for it makes for a more interactive segment or update. Joe and Evan are, are good at that in the current day. Not so much that they'll get on you for what you're not giving, but they like to kind of cut into the update and and comment on something that you're saying whether it's about a team or a soundbite or a certain story and then you can kind of riff with them a little bit i think to me it makes it more enjoyable maybe because that's Mm -hmm. a little bit more what i'm used to doing if i'm working with the morning guys with boomer and geo because it's a much more interactive update segment but i think it's 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 uh it's a little bit more colorful and less kind of stale and buttoned up so i i like that that aspect but dog is even that serious now, he's, he loves to do that. He loves to cut in. And certainly if you're not given everything about the tennis, which he loves, or certain golf tournaments. So he always knows what he's looking for. So if you're working on his show, you got to make sure to kind of 
you know, wet his palate a little bit with that. So I also do some part-time work at Sirius, so I know if I'm going in to do an update on the Mad Dog channel during the show, if there's anything out there that I think might catch his attention, I'm certainly going to put it in there because I'm looking to get that reaction from him and get him to say something and interact during the update. I think it makes it more enjoyable for the for the listeners. Excellent. Chris, you've been on all shifts at the fan. Do you have a particular one that you're... You have most fun to be a part of. I know we've been hearing you lately on uh, on the morning show, and uh, I know you've been on all shift. Do you work with Steve Summers at all, or uh, during the midday? I, I I've worked with Steve many times in the past. I can tell you that for about almost a year now, basically since my youngest son was born, I've moved away from doing evenings and overnights. So I don't I don't I haven't worked with Steve directly in probably almost a year now, but I still. I still cross paths with him from time to time if I'm working a, an afternoon shift, say from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. Because he gets in, he's he is known for getting in way. So if his show starts at 6:30 on a normal night, he's usually in the building by three o'clock starting his prep work because he is a creature of habit. He's got to sit down, he's got to look at all the stories, he's got his yellow legal pad where he's going to write out his monologues. I mean, he is. He is a, the perfect example of a guy where old habits die hard. It works for him. It's his. That's his. That's his routine. That's his stick. That's his where he connects with the audience. Uh, so everyone has their little things. I would say, as it currently stands, I probably enjoy doing the morning shift the best. Circling back to what I was saying before, because it's it's just it's a different style. It's not just me talking for two to three minutes and giving straight news and a straight update. There's more fun stories. It's a longer segment. You're interacting with the guys. You're looking for fun audio clips to play. It just gives you a chance to kind of do a more expansive, well-rounded update. And plus, you can show off a little of your personality as well. Once you get comfortable with those guys and they're comfortable with you, you know you don't have to be in there as the straight news guy. You can kind of be a little bit more edgy and maybe uh, go back and forth with them a little bit. You can even disagree and debate with them. So I think those segments, while it's a different style from the normal 2020 update that people have grown accustomed to hearing on the fan for 30-plus years now, uh, I like what those guys with Jerry Recco have carved out. And that really dates back to when it was when it was, when, when it was Boomer and Carton, when Jerry first started working with them in, God, let's see, January of 2009. So it's 11 years, it's 11-plus years now. So yeah. Jerry really brought that flavor to that show, uh-huh. and uh, I think that segment is, has done really well for itself over the time. You know, yeah, I remember but, you being the, uh, the New York Jet Beat reporter. They go to CeeLo for the Jets. So you must have had some interviews during your career have you would you tell some of your more enjoyable interviews and if you have any baseball ones that that'd be great you know as far as the jets go i did that for i guess three or four years it was and that was a blast you know i i it was bittersweet having to step away from it but it was a you know a family time commitment financial thing we don't have to get into all that but as far as the job itself and being in the locker room every day and being at practices during training camp and going to the games, the home games on Sundays or it was a primetime game, whatever it was, was very enjoyable. Now, for me, as far as interviews went, you know, I didn't do a lot of one-on-one stuff because my job was to make sure whatever was most compelling that day, whether it was from the coach's press conference or something one of the players said at their locker, 
my job was to make sure I didn't miss that audio soundbite. So it may not have been something that was exclusive where I was talking with a player one-on-one. It was more in those group sessions if, for example, you know, Mark Sanchez said something that was going to draw front-page headlines. At the time, you know, in this day and age, Twitter and websites, they do a really good job of pumping out a lot of video and audio that we could access from our newsroom. But this was, you know, five, six, seven years ago now where Twitter, I feel like, was still getting off the deck and multimedia being available uh, was getting off the deck. So it was a lot about me making sure I was in the right place at the right time with my microphone so that the next morning or later that night or certainly the next morning, Jerry Reckle was always looking for a lot of stuff to play on the morning show. I wanted to make sure he never reached out to me and said, hey, did you get this? And I had to say no. I always wanted to be able to say yes and say, yep, we've got that, we've got that, we've got that, so that he could play it the next day. And they could talk about the most important story or headline or quote from one of the players. So that was more what I was tasked with doing when I was covering the Jets. As far as baseball goes, there's not a lot to say. And this is crazy because baseball was my first love. I mean, I've got videos of when I was two and three years old, you know, doing play-by-play and running around my parents' living room with all my different Yankee and Met hats and jerseys and equipment. I, I was obsessed. In my time at the fan. In my professional career, which is 13, 14 years now, I have never been to a Major League Baseball game on a press credential. Really? I have no idea why. Wow. I don't know. I don't know why I've neglected to do that. It just hasn't happened. Certainly, I've attended games as a fan, as a paying customer, mm-hmm. but I've never been to a baseball game on a on a press credential. So I've actually never set foot in a big league clubhouse to this day. So that's something that I am hoping to change, you know, sooner rather than later. Especially given everything we're going through right now, it really makes you appreciate and want to, you know, experience as much as you possibly can. So hopefully, that's something I can do soon. Absolutely. All right, let's let, let's shift gears then, uh, and just. We're baseball and barbecue, not that our guests have to be, uh, <laughs> talk about either one. You know, you've got a young family, you're going out into the yard. Are, do you barbecue? Are you grilling? What are you making? Uh, this, uh, I will admit this. It's embarrassing to say. So we're coming up on uh, five years in our house here in, uh, in Monmouth County, New Jersey. And I was gifted by dad's not even an old barbecue. It was basically a lightly used barbecue that he had at what was my childhood house. Because when my parents sold their house and moved into one of these retirement communities, right. they have a direct gas line. So they needed a certain type of barbecue that would work. So they said, hey, we can't use this. Why don't you guys take it? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. Let's get the barbecue. I'll be out there in the summer and growing up the hot dogs, the burgers, all that good stuff. So I've had this barbecue probably three or four years now. I have yet to barbecue a single thing on it. And the reason for that is not for a lack of desire. It speaks to my my career, my job life. Like I told you, up until last year, I was working all kinds of crazy hours. So I've been working double shifts. I'd be working split double shifts where I'd work in the morning at fan and then at night at Sirius. I'm not getting home until 3 o'clock in the morning, like, crazy crazy hours mm. so and, and a lot of weekends as well so nights and weekends makes it hard to really be the you know the barbecue husband and father of course uh-huh. plus the young kids so let's let's put it this way it's on my to-do list um i did go out and get a propane tank last summer i didn't actually put it to use it uh-huh. oh, that's a step the, i've got to start the, i know dude, i've got the i've got the i've got the tools i've got the grill i've got the books with the recipes i mean there's all kind i, I am set up to get it done 
We just haven't actually gone out and done it yet. So hopefully this summer, if the weather gets nice and we get rid of this social distancing stuff, right. I can have some neighbors and family over and right. we'll get the grill cracking. There you go. All okay. right. Chris, that's, that's I, I, the- I know we're running out of time here. Thank you for your time. I have one last question for you. Sure. Since you have uh, a couple of young kids, uh, when are you going to start coaching baseball in the Little League? Um, well, I can tell you, on the, on the side, in addition to my radio work, I've done I've done baseball coaching at a variety of age levels from, let's see, the youngest I have is probably sevens all the way up through uh, varsity baseball. So I, I volunteered with the varsity baseball team of my old high school from 2013 through 2018, 2019. I forget what year now I stopped. So I, I have a lot of coaching experience. Like I said, baseball was my first love, so I'm hoping that's something I can pass on to my boys. But that I, I don't want to be that parent that's going to stuff it down their throat. So my four-year-old to this point has not shown a lot of interest in organized team athletics. Maybe that'll change. Obviously, he's still got time to kind of develop uh, an interest or a passion or a love for it. But right now, he's uh, wild and crazy. Let me just run around in circles and throw myself on the ground and play with my toys. He's not really quite ready to sit and learn and listen about the game. So I've got my fingers crossed, but I, I decided before I had any kids, before they were born, that I wasn't, just because I loved and was passionate about baseball, I wasn't going to be that dad. I was going to shove it down their throat because it might make them hate it. So I'm kind of taking a step back approach and wait and see, and maybe he'll come to me someday and I can start to walk down that path with him, but that remains to be seen. Well, yeah, Chris, we, we greatly appreciate you being on the show. And uh, I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek, but how much pull do you have at Sirius or the fan? Because I think, and I think many would agree, and you probably will too, that there's definitely a need for this show, Baseball and Barbecue, (laughs) on the the network. I mean, so, you know, you might want to put in a good word with, you know, management. And, you know, we, we have the New York voices. and Yeah. You know, there's a need. <laughs> here's, here's what I can tell you. you got, for sure, you got the New York voices. I would say as far as the fan goes, and this is no disrespect to you guys at all, it's a long line, and it's a very tough line to crack. Trust of me, I speak from experience, and I know a lot of people that have been pounding at the door. You know what it is? It's it's one radio station, so there's, you know, there's limited opportunities. A place like Sirius, man, they're just constantly trying to come up with new creative content, new channels shows on certain channels very theme specific channels so yeah i think you guys have you've got more of a niche a, a niche you know set up to what you're trying to do and they definitely they, they like to do that stuff so you know may, might not be on mlb network radio but they got a lot of channels that they that they put out there and offer to their subscribers so that could definitely be something to look into <laughs> you hear that jeff i hear that it's not, at our age we might still have oh, a second career there you go, there you go. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. Good luck to you. We're going to listen to you in the fan, and, and, and you know, thank best you, look Chris. to everything for you. Yeah, we really yeah. appreciate it. No problem. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. And how thanks to Chris O'Preston. Len, nice guy, huh? <laughs> Very nice guy. A lot of fun interviewing him. And, Jeff, I'm exhausted. Wow. Three interviews. We've done it before, but, you know. It's a lot. And, yes. And I just, well, we hope, hope everybody enjoys it. Yes. Really, as much as we enjoy doing them, I, I think getting the feedback from everyone is, is really great. 
and I I know that you gave the, the contact information. Tom, you know, our listener Tom reached out to us, and that that's really special when we get our listeners to reach out to us and tell us that they like the show. It's not so special when they tell us they don't like the show. <laughs> we don't we don't read those. Yes. <laughs> so as, 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 as we finish here with baseball always brings you home if you uh, do us a favor subscribe to the, to the podcast rate us review us that'd be great and now our favorite song baseball always brings you home <laughs>